Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. Today is Tuesday, July 24th. With me today are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in Pennsylvania. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist, and I am in Connecticut. A big event is looming in central bank land within the next week. Um, it will be the Bank of Japan's announcement on July 31st, next Tuesday. Rumors have been circulating that the BOGA will be making changes to its quantitative easing program. Speculation that the Bank of Japan will consider changes to its monetary easing policy has sent long-term bond rates climbing, pushed down stocks, and firmed up the yen, prompting the BOJ to reassure investors that the basic direction of policy is unchanged. News reports emerged on Friday evening, this past Friday evening, that the BOJ plans to discuss a more flexible approach to guiding long-term interest rates. Specific actions, including an interest rate increase, could conceivably come up for the debate at this meeting. The bank has been working behind the scenes on ways to address the side effects of monetary easing on financial institutions, making easy money more sustainable in the long run. Abandoning such stimulus is not an such stimulus is not an option, with inflation main, remaining stalled well below the BOJ's target of two percent. The last reading for June was just zero point seven percent on the year. Instead, the central bank could change how it purchases government bonds or exchange traded funds. But the media attention caught officials by surprise. BOJ Governor Kuroda said on Sunday they had no idea what evidence these reports are based on. The truly seismic move has been in Japanese bonds, JGBs. Any move at all in JGBs, one of the world's least interesting and best behaved investments, is unusual. And their move has been sort of violent in the last couple of days, although it has calmed down somewhat today. The move was driven by intensifying speculation that the BOJ is about to adjust monetary policy. That would be a very big deal because the BOJ has been the most aggressive purveyor of quantitative easing of all central banks in recent years. The BOJ's balance sheet has at this point expanded proportionately even more than the Federal Reserve's in the decades since the Lehman bankruptcy. Concerns that the BOJ might tweak its monetary policy rattled global markets Monday, causing the biggest jump in bond yields in two years and pushing the 10-year yield towards 0.7% from 0.3% previously. Next week's podcast will have the results of the monetary board meeting and whether the BOA, BOJ actually did anything. Moving right along, Jeremy, to the ECB. Okay, well, certainly we've had some knock-on effects on European bonds from uh, the BOJ 
at least the possible BOJ move that you were talking about. But of course, as far as uh, the ECB itself is concerned at the moment, the outlook really is for, well, no kind of change at all. As you mentioned, we'll have the next council meeting on Thursday. Not really too much to look forward to there on paper anyway, because uh, in theory, they've outlined a monetary policy now uh, as of the June communique through to the end of the year. So we're looking for just, if anything, confirmation that net asset purchases will be halved from what 30 billion euros that they've been undertaking so far this year to 15 billion once we get into October. And then, of course, the programme is supposed to be ended altogether once we get to the end of the year. Um, what can we look for then from this meeting? Well, there certainly still seems to be um, some lack of clarification about what they were going to do with interest rates. Specifically, they said that interest rates, well, these key interest rates would be held at current low levels through at least the summer of 2019. Now, for some people, it seems these council members, they seem to regard that as being potentially opening the door to higher interest rates actually in summer itself, whereas other council members seem to think that it means we won't be seeing higher interest rates until the fourth quarter of next year at the earliest. So we may perhaps get a little bit of indication of what they mean there. Although, of course, uh, the last thing the ECB is going to want to do is reduce the flexibility that it has with its current forward guidance. Um, one thing that I think we can certainly say is that the central bank has been very pleased with how markets have reacted to the June communique when any kind of talk about ending quantitative easing, it was thought could push the euro higher and hit the bond market. And in practice, of course, exactly the opposite happened. Outside of that, well, I suppose you've still got to say it's not completely clear yet that they'll be end, able to end quantitative easing at the end of this year anyway. Um, since we last spoke, we had the final June inflation report that showed a, a very much unwanted downward revision to one of the, the key core measures of inflation. And that now stands at just 0.9%. And that really does just mean it's been trending sideways now for the best part of a year. Uh, we also had earlier on today, Tuesday, the, the flash PMI results for July. The key composite index there came in at 54.3, which historically isn't a bad number by any means, but it's well short of the near 59 readings we had in the first quarter. Indeed, it was the second weakest since November 2016. And within this report, I suppose ominously, we had growth of new orders and backlogs around about 21 or 22 month lows. And indeed, business confidence in the year ahead, that's weakest in 20 months as well. Um, also of note, and we've talked before about different trade issues and worries about protectionism, manufacturers saw their new export orders um, increase by the smallest amount since 2016. So, you know, put all that little lot together, it doesn't mean that quantitative easing won't be ended as the ECB wants this year, but it does raise some serious question marks, I think, as to whether or not the economy is going to evolve in such a way that it will actually allow the ECB to stop its programme anyway. Elsewhere, as far as the UK is concerned, it's a very quiet week. So really all the focus is looking into uh, next week now when we get the, the Bank of England meeting. Since we last spoke, we've had a suite of fairly soft numbers. So I think it's sort of safe to say at the moment, Mark, it's little more than 50-50 now on whether or not we'll actually see interest rates going up next week. Uh, a short while ago, it looked to be pretty well a done deal. But now it's very much an open question. Jeremy, it's last last time there was a possibility of the Bank of England increasing rates. Same thing happened, didn't it? Just it about. is. 
It is. I think you're, you're exactly right. And it's got to be said, there's a, a number of very unhappy investors over here these days. Um, they've been waiting for this uh, Bank of England interest rate hike for a number of months now. Um, some of the comments we had coming out to the governor, uh, Mark Carney, earlier on this year, it, it seemingly just set the scene for a hike in interest rates and everyone was geared up for it. It didn't happen. It still hasn't happened. Um, people on on average had been looking quite closely for the hike next week. But now, as I mentioned, it's not clear either. And I think were we to see the bank stand pat next week, so we have a bank rate left at 0.5%, then the kind of sort of you know, loose forward guidance that the Bank of England has been using uh, for some while now, you know, its credibility really is diminishing quite rapidly. And it's something that the bank will have to address. Thanks, Jeremy. Mark, yes. what's new? Well, we're talking about the credibility of uh, central banks. Uh, and, of course, we have a, a lot of headlines here out of the U.S., the administration. It started with Larry Kudlow, uh, advisor to the president uh, earlier this month, uh, calling on the Fed to go slow with rate hikes. And Donald Trump himself kind of crossed the line, uh, the traditional line, uh, on, uh, not uh, twisting the arm of the Federal, of the, uh, Federal Reserve, and he did, uh, and uh, that was also. It's interesting. It's you know, it's an interesting uh, mix of things. Uh, Jerome Powell was on the Capitol Hill last week, and he was very conciliatory, or he was very non-confrontational. Actually, he said it's not up to us to criticize the administration and their policies, but it's not. It's not. It doesn't work the other way around. At least right now. This calls to mind the Bundesbank in the old 80s and 90s, such a, uh, a call for an official call for, uh, for higher rates would uh, raise expectations of a retaliatory rate hike uh, uh, that would confirm the central bank's uh, independence. But I, that's not in the cards right now. I think what is in the cards is that uh, the Fed will follow very closely to its forecasts which calls for two more rate hikes. And it will uh, turn not on uh, headlines out of Washington, but on the economic data. And if the economic data continues to point to capacity stress, and uh, the Federal Reserve will have no, will have no alternative uh, but to stick to its uh, posted schedule. And that's for two more rate hikes this year and then three for next year. And, and, we, and we also have to remember that the Federal Reserve is um, not entirely concentrated in Washington, uh, that its uh, district banks, uh, the 12 district banks in a rotation system, participate uh, in not only the voting but in, in, in the research. And uh, these are uh, insulated uh, more from the action in Washington. It's a very uh, delicate time right now. Um, uh, for the Federal Reserve, uh, the uh, I think it's a, more of an institutional um, threat. Excuse me, threat right now. The personality, Jerome Powell, isn't a Volcker, um, uh, who, and he's not a, a, a Greenspan. Uh, doesn't have the doesn't um, uh, lecture on economics and, and Volcker just would refuse to be pushed around and you wouldn't know what Volcker was up to. I think we know exactly because of, I guess maybe 10 years of transparency, 15 years of transparency. Uh, we know exactly what the fed is going to do and it's going to, I think, turn on, uh, incoming data 
Uh, and uh, but it's a very uh, it's a very curious time right now, and um, and we have the uh, the curve flattening. You know, we have the two year coming up, and that's really what Donald Trump was complaining about. Because if you if you graph out uh, the two year with the federal funds rate, they go in line with one another, and uh, higher short term borrowing costs have been consistent with recent uh, or recent recessions or the last two recessions and so we're getting to a, an odd point where the um, the the contrast or the the, the working at opposite uh, goals uh, the fiscal policy uh, being very stimulative right now with the tax cuts and the government spending and uh, the Federal Reserve trying to uh, slow down, cool the economy. So we're, uh, this is really a, a, an unusual, one-of-a-kind thing for the textbooks, for the history books. And uh, something has to be reconciled. Uh, Mark. Um, and we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, guys, quick, just in terms of, they are unusual times. And one thing that strikes me is um, talking about uh, Donald Trump, the administration getting concerned perhaps about rising interest rates. But if we look at the level from where they're rising, historically speaking, they're so low in the first place. It does sort of make you wonder whether you know, the whole interest rate environment globally has changed now in such mm -hmm. a way that investors automatically assume that the natural level of interest rates mm -hmm. is several percentage points below where it used to be. Well, Otherwise, is, why be concerned? Well, this well, it's the relationship of the two-year to the 10-year. Um, their our levels are lower uh, than in prior cycles, but this has been a, de a deflationary um, economy. This has been a deflationary era. So uh, it may change the way those relationships play out. It's still hard to say, um, but it, uh, it it really gets down to the you know the uh, the uh, the puzzle of why uh, inflation has been so low. And uh, if you look at the energy sector, I th I think there may be some answers. And you know we talk about low productivity, but there might, it might also be a question of uh, unusual amounts of production. We have the uh, you know the uh, the new uh, the fracking systems. Uh, horizontal drilling has uh, has made for a, a rush of uh, energy products, which is key to inflation. And agriculture too has been uh, producing more and more and more and more. So basics you know basics like food and energy are uh, cheaper or, or relatively uh, or relative to to demand. Uh, their supply is much greater, but there's so many uh, different questions right now. But but the I think uh, the the key question is uh, this uh, a confrontation um, brewing between um, arms of the government and and how to manage economic policy. Thanks, Mark. Until next week. <laughs>